Well, it's interesting. We, uh, I kept, I told you guys last week that I didn't even mean to, but on the, uh, I was preaching about this and that, and you guys can go and listen to uh, the sermons. I'm not going to re-preach the last week's sermons, but there was this subtle, like, below-the-surface sermon that I was preaching each week, and I have to, I have to keep, I got to just trust the Lord and do it again. I keep being obsessed with the seed and what the seed does in the ground, and I've been talking about different facets. The Bible talks about different seeds and different things that different seeds do. And last week we talked about the mustard seed. We talked about it being what true faith is. And obviously there's a whole hundred other levels to what that really means. But I just talked about last week about how it's a small thing. The kingdom of God is like the mustard seed and our faith is like the mustard seed and it's small But when we plant it, it grows. It does something big outside of us. And Jesus, interestingly, um, you know, he spoke in parables, but he spent so much time mentioning these different seeds and different growths. It's very, very interesting. I, I don't think I ever noticed the significance of it before. And I want to just continue on this theme. The Lord is growing something here. The Lord's growing something in you individually. He's growing something in this church. He's growing something in this world. God's kingdom is growing. It's always growing, and it's not going to stop. And um, that goes for every facet of your life. It goes for your faith. It goes for um, our trust in him, because really what faith is, is belief in God. I mean, to simplify it, we have these, if you ask somebody what belief is and what faith is, they would give you two different definitions. That's because you're talking about the English word belief and the English word faith, but the Bible is actually, it's the same word through the whole story. If you open up Matthew and you go right to Revelation and you find this word faith, it's the same exact word all the way through when they say belief. Now, there is a belief that is without faith, but that's um, not the Bible's word we're talking about. There's a belief, I believe something, but the, the word faith in the Bible the word believe in the Bible that you can go hand in hand was a type of belief that showed action. And that's basically what happens when we let the initial seed of his word get planted in us. It's his grace that gave us the seed of Jesus Christ. And it's through our faith that we have received it. It's through our believing in him that had an action. And then so the same exact thing happens out from us. When we give our faith, when we use our faith with what God's put in us to do what he's called us to do, it's the same thing happening out of you that happened in you when Jesus did what he did in you. When you believed against everything in this world and against everybody, right? Especially today who looks at us as crazies, and you decided to believe in him anyway, you lay down you, you lay down your mind, you lay down modern science, and all of these things you had to lay down and say, I believe. And that's the same exact thing that comes out of you. When God asks you to do something, you just need to say the same thing you said to him the first time, I believe. 
It's crazy. It doesn't make sense in my mind, but I believe you. And that's really what mustard seed faith is. It's small. It doesn't, it's not that it requires a lot. It just requires you to say, I believe. There's not a lot of you that's required. It's just, right? When you said yes to Jesus, I've said this so many times. So many of us, we didn't know anything about Jesus. You knew nothing about him, but you just knew that he was what you needed. And that's how it started. It was a tiny little spark. That's all that he needs. God doesn't need a lot. He just needs you to say yes. And that's what he's asking us to do. I believe that God's got a word for you today. He says in Mark chapter 4, verse 26, he talks about the seed again. And he says, Jesus also said the kingdom of God is like a farmer. Actually, can you pull this up in the Amplified, Mariah? It says, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed upon the ground, verse 27, and then continues sleeping and rising night and day while the seed sprouts and grows and increases. He knows not how. This is a very interesting thing. You can put that back up in the NLT. It says, he doesn't know how it happens. But he says that he put a seed in the ground, he did his part, and then he went to sleep. I love this. Jesus said, this is the kingdom. Let me show you the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like someone who does what they've been called to do. You know, this can be, obviously, there's multiple parallels. It's the same thing goes for when he put it in you. The seed was fully active. It had everything it needed in it. Jesus didn't need anything else in him. He just put him in you, and, and God rested, right? That's what the Bible said, that God did. For six days, he created and he made, and Jesus was already planned. Remember, before any of that, and on the seventh day, God rested. God was finished with his work. There was no work to be done, including who Jesus was already prepared to be. And when it gets put, God's resting, knowing that what if you let it, it's going to do something in you. But also then, as we've been talking about, you let it out of you. But this is very interesting that Jesus tells us, that what you do in the kingdom, that your part is to put the seed, and then verse 29 is to harvest the seed. But the in-between, the in-between has nothing to do with you. The kingdom of God is basically, let me paraphrase, the kingdom of God is like you doing what God called you to do because all you're giving and doing is something that's outside of your mentality, strength, ability, etc. You just do what I called you to do and rest. Go to sleep. Now, it's not talking about laziness, but just let me work in what I've put in you. Let me do that. And then all of a sudden, you look. It says... It says, the earth produces the crops on its own. Verse 28, first a blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. 
Something begins to happen. I said last week, it's, I don't understand how science can argue that that's not supernatural on its own. That something, you put a little seed in the ground and something starts growing. Same thing for a baby, where, you know, where it's the same exact thing. The seed is put into the mother's womb and a baby comes out. And then they want to say that that's not supernatural on its own. I mean, that's supernatural. How, the, how does that happen? <laughs> how is that even possible? It doesn't make sense. And what I want to free you today, I believe the Lord... What he wants to tell us today is that there's a toil and there's a struggle and there's a pushing and there's a working in our flesh. In fact, not only is that natural and normal, but humanity likes that. We come home and we're a little bit frustrated and we're tired with our day, but we feel good, don't we? That we push, right? The days you worked really hard, you're tired and you toiled, but there's something in your flesh that feels like, man, I accomplished something today. I did something today. I pushed through. And there's something in our humanity, in our DNA that enjoys even a good hard day's work. But the Bible, basically what Jesus, his kingdom, the way that Jesus changes everything. Jesus takes the toil, he takes the struggle, he takes the work, and he basically tells us that those things that you're trying and pushing and doing, he takes them from that place of glory we have in humanity and puts it low. He says it means nothing. Now there's, there is that doesn't mean that we do nothing. The Bible says, look at this. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Or the New King James says that knowing that your labor is not in vain. So there is a labor in God that's not in vain, but there's a labor, there's a pushing, there's a striving, there's a trying in our humanity that is vanity, that's vain. And what God wants his people to do is to let go, to be free, to let God, basically, just let God. And we, we come to God and we say, well, how, when, where, I don't have enough, I don't have the ability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all we can possibly figure out in our mind is what we are capable of doing. And, and then we go and we learn this and we do that and we push into this realm and we get this five years and then these extra two years and then we get this raise and we get that. And that's our lives as humanity, constantly pushing to become greater, to become better, to become bigger, to become richer, to become healthier, et cetera. But the Bible actually calls all of this toil. We go back to the very beginning. We go back to Genesis. We find Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that God put them in the garden, and there was rest. He told them, have dominion, have freedom. You're free. Put them in the garden, gave them dominion. And he said, you got one job. Just be fruitful and multiply 
I'm gonna, you're going to name the animals, Adam. I'm about to bring them to you. You're going to name the animals. And, and I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet with you. And we're going to spend time each day. And that's creation. That's life. Now, sin brought upon a curse. Remember the story? There was a whole bunch of curses. It was curses on you women, bringing painful childbirth. That was one of the curses. And on the man, not that women don't work, but the man symbolizes the workforce, the, you know, the working, right? On him. <laughs> not that women don't work. But on the man, he said, what your labors, there's a curse that has come because of your sin, because of your, your flesh, and it's going to be the sweat of your brow. When you eat your produce, when you eat what you've worked for, you're going to be eating it in the sweat of your brow. And many times as Christians, what we haven't fully given over is the toiling and the struggling and the sweating. As I, and that's why I read this verse right away in 1 Corinthians to say that it's not a laziness, it's not a not doing, but there's a way to do things in God. And what happens, in fact, is that if we are constantly trying to do in our own strength, even though technically you are able to accomplish, the world accomplishes many great things. There's a hundred mile bridge. That was at Japan, we had looked it up once. We went across the Chesapeake and we're like, man, what's the longest bridge that someone just put over the ocean? And it's like a hundred miles, an incredible feat that man has done. When man puts his mind to something, he can do things. But these things are just things. Eventually that concrete will fail. Eventually that bridge will fall into the ocean if you give it enough time. That's what happens from the things we do. Now, it doesn't mean that the bridge didn't need to be built. I'm not telling you to quit your job. Dawn said, make sure I say that so that nobody thinks you don't have to work. I'm not telling you to not do and to be diligent, but there's, this is a mentality, all right? This is how you, this, what I'm talking about today is a mind thing. It's the way you approach life. It's the way you approach what God's asked you to do. So now we get saved, we become Christians, but we bring over our work ethic, which is not a bad thing, but we bring over, well, this is how you get stuff done. We're movers and we're shakers. This is how you do it. But God's kingdom is very different than the kingdom of this world. The curse is to struggle and to toil. That's the curse. That's not your, that's not what you were called to do as Christians. You were not called to struggle and to toil. Now, there is a side note, which I don't, I'm not going to get into today, but sometimes the enemy will come and he'll, he'll try to bring pressures on what God's asking you to do, and it can feel like struggles and toils, but if you've been there, you know the difference, right? You know that when he's put his pressures on you, you just need to just, you get back into the Lord's rest and you realize that he had nothing on you, right? And that's another sermon. So there is that, but there is not a toiling in a Christian. And it's a very difficult thing. Even I'm standing here as your pastor and I'm telling you, this is difficult for me. This is very difficult for me to rest. It's very difficult to just lay down 
my abilities and my strengths and who I am and to let God be God. We want to help God. I was thinking about all these amazing ministries throughout the world who do this and do that, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. And, and they're feeding this one, and they're giving water to that one, and they built these orphanages and all these things. And, and, and I believe that it's God-ordained. But isn't it funny how I wonder what some of them think at night, like, look at this amazing thing I've built. I wonder how many Christians who have done great things for God at night when all is settled and, the, and they don't need to be false, humble, you know, the humility and they don't need, the facades are gone out there in the public side. And it's just them. I wonder what goes on in the mind. Do they realize that everything that is done through them was God? And I believe that God just wants us to do to two things. One, to realize that it's him. No matter what you do, it's him. But it gives you, ready? It could give you, if you get that now, before you've done the great things for him, it gives you this boost that, you know what? I can do what God's called me to do because it's not me anyway. I want you all to say that line. That's your line today. It's not me anyway. It's not me anyway. So if it's not me anyway, then how could I possibly limit God? How can I possibly limit what he can and can't do through me? But if I were to put it on me, then I'm going to gauge what I can do for God based on my abilities mentally, physically, and spiritually. But God's speaking to you today, and he says, it's not you anyway, so just do it. Just give up. Just Rest in me. And in fact, this is interesting. In Genesis 5, Noah's just about to go to the ark. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, just a few verses later, he's about to go into the ark. It's a very short story. It's not the two-hour-long movie, and it wasn't that movie anyway. But uh, when he was born, when Noah was born, it says in Genesis 5, 20, 29, Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, May he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor, or the New King James says, from the toil of our hands. Now, there was something that happened on the earth. Technically, when the, when the flood came, the, the um, deep broke open, and it rained for the first time. So there was a natural thing that happened on the earth. But really, the Bible is one big prophetic story from beginning to end, and everything ravels in and out of itself. They weren't talking about the rain that was going to come. This was a prophecy that uh, before the flood, everybody was just doing whatever they wanted, and they were living in this curse and living in the struggle and living in the toil. But Noah was going to bring about a brand new thing. And this was prophecy of his seed, Jesus Christ, who would come one day. This was a prophecy that Jesus would come and relieve you from the work, from the painful labor and the toil of your hands. And in fact, Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me. You have to love this verse. You hear me say this a lot. <clears throat> in this church, and I love it. It says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, or all who labor. Come to me, all who labor. If Jesus is telling you to come to him, 
those who labor, that means that I believe him, that when we come to him, we've probably been laboring. I believe Jesus' words that come to me all who are weary and all you who labor and carry heavy burdens. And look what it says, and I will give you rest. A Christian is supposed to live their life in rest. And many times we don't rest, do we? We're all just like the rest of us. Who is restless as a Christian so many times? It's not a, being a Christian or not a Christian. What really has happened is, is you've let the flesh, which was your old man, right? Who you were before you became a Christian is ruling again. And that man worried about this and worried about that and didn't know how to make this. And how is I going to do this? And how can I do that? And why well, I didn't do this then? And now that means I can't be this now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're worrying and struggling and all these things are going on in our minds. And now we've become Christians. And, and if we let the old man rule, we're going to get back into the working. In fact, when Jesus came, even in religion, even when Jesus came, they were trying to prove to God that they were godly people by their works, by their things, by their religion. Look at, we do this at this time, and we do this at that time, and we do this four times a year, and every Friday we stop eating and until Saturday, and then we eat again, and this symbolizes this, and this symbolizes that, etc., etc., etc. And they were even working in their faith, and Jesus says, you just need to stop all of that and rest in me. Rest, that's the Christian. A Christian is one who rests. And this is an, in, in, a difficult concept to get, but I hope that I can bring this home today to really get this. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 9, there is still a special rest waiting for the people of God. There's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. In verse 10, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested, look what it says, from their labors. Just as God did after creating the world. So you see the picture is of God himself, that God did what needed to be done and he rested. Now you were living in the toil and in the curse before Christ. And when we come into Christ, we're not supposed to bring the toil and the struggle with us. We're supposed to leave it upon Jesus because he said, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Verse, go back to uh, Matthew 11, verse 29, that is, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, as a Christian, many times you can feel, right, when you're praying for somebody and believing for somebody in your life and your family, there's this heavy burden sometimes in your spirit that you can feel God has put upon you. That's a burden I don't want you to, to that's, those things are not supposed to go. 
those burdens are, are good because what it does is it pushes us back into God. It pushes us back into him and we start crying out for the, for the person that we feel that burden for. But the burden of the hows and the wheres and the whos and how am I going to do this and how am I going to do that? Jesus said, why are you worrying about all these things? That's what the Gentiles or the Gentile just meant. That's what the person before they came to me represents. That's what they were worried about. That's all they thought about. And this goes on further. It's not just how do you get through your daily life, but there's another level. Here's the level that I want to bring you to, that each and every person in here has a call of God. Our life is not about laying down the toil and the struggle and resting in God and ending there. And I've been preaching about this a lot, but that's not the end. That's a big battle for so many of us. And it's honestly a recurring battle, but we keep laying it down and we keep trusting in him. That's really the best picture. Every time we find that we're struggling and toiling and striving, we lay it down again and we rest in him. And rest looks like this. That's what it looks like. I surrender. I don't know how you're possibly gonna do this in my life. I don't know how but I'm just going to surrender just like I did the first time. I came to you a mess and now I'm in a mess and I'm just going to let it go. But there's a whole nother level to you than that. You do that anytime you need to. Let me encourage you. Anytime you feel like you got yourself into a mess, you toiled and you struggled too far, you got too far away from him and you got into trying to do things in your own strength, come back immediately and lift those hands up and give it back to God. That's an everyday, all day uh, 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 opportunity for you as a Christian. But there's a whole nother level and that's this, that each of you also has something inside of you that God is trying to get out of you. All of that is the working on you, but you are 50% of the project that God's got going on here. You got the seed and then you have the fruit. You've got the seed and you've got the tree, right? That's what we've been talking about. The farmer who goes to sleep there's the struggle is not yours. It's your job to do what God's called you to do. It's for him. You go to sleep, you rest, and you let God worry about how to bring the fruit. And I want you just to look at a story. It's one we're all familiar of. And I'll just breeze through this story today. This is where, we're, where we'll end for the rest of today. It's in Mark chapter six. I love this story. I love preaching on this story because this is the perfect picture of, of the next level for you as a Christian, that there is a call inside of you, that there's something that God is trying to get out of his people. I said last week something that I think we should all remember all the time, that we are Christians today because somebody paid a price and told us about Jesus. Somebody, somewhere, at some point, paid that price for you, and God is asking all of us, are you willing to pay that same price for somebody else? And this is what happens. God puts a call in you, and it's in so many different ways, 
right? We're all different and we all have different fields. Just like you all work. Let's take the analogy that we're talking about here, the working and the trialing and the striving. We all do that in different fields. And God brings you into the kingdom. And now those things, like I said, it's not that you're not doing it. It's just that those things don't really matter. They're a means to an end. Does that make sense? Your kingdom is not on this earth. You're working and you're striving here on this earth. It's just to get you through the, this system that we live in. If you didn't live in this system, you wouldn't need it at all. But we just use it to get us through this, this world, this realm. But there's a kingdom that lasts forever. There's one that we really are living in with Christ. And that is what the place where he is working through us. That is the place where he's trying to get his word back out of us. And so quickly we find in the story, this is uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 32. So they left by boat <clears throat> for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he, stepped, as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can eat. I'm sorry, send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Verse 37, but Jesus said, you feed them. Jesus said, you feed them. Look what, they, look what their response is. Isn't this, I mean, just apply this to whoever you are and wherever you are in your walk. It doesn't matter whether you just began your walk or whether you've been walking with the Lord a long time. The Lord's always going to be asking something of you and your flesh. That means your mind, your natural man is always going to give God this response first. How? With what they asked. Look at the interesting thing that they said. <clears throat> We'd have to work. See, all they could think about, because that was the curse, you were born through the curse of Adam. It's just how it is. We could, you know, we can say whatever we want about, well, why did God do this? Why did God do that? Why? You know what? It doesn't really matter, because you were born here, and Jesus has a way out. So instead of wondering and being confused and thinking about, you know, Jesus before and he knew that Adam was going to do this and all that, let's just realize that we were born in that curse. Jesus has given us the opportunity to come out of it. Let's, let's follow him. He's got a way. And the first thing that your mind is always going to do is to think, how can I make this happen? Let me, let me try to figure this out. I'm going to figure out, I'm going to help you, God. <laughs> but then when we sit down and we say, I'm going to help you, but this is what happens. We say, I want to help you, Lord, but there's no way. I want to help you, God, but it's just not possible. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Verse 38, Jesus says, don't you love the words of Jesus? 
you can read this line in, you know, it's like a text message. You know how there's, you can't tell the attitude? She's saying, okay, like, okay, or is it, okay, or is it, okay, whatever. You could read this in so many different ways, but I want to say he said it like this. Well, how much bread do you have? Isn't that funny? What do you have? The first thing we say to, to God is when he's calling us and he's asking more of you and he's pushing you to step out for him and to, to say that something to that person or to do what he's called you to do. We, we have all these excuses and we think we can't do and we come back to him, it's not possible. But the Lord is saying to you today, well, what do you have? Because you're gonna find, and I know it because you're gonna do it. This is not, this is not that Pinocchio commercial where this is you know me giving you a fake pep talk. You do have, the potential is in you, and I know, I know you will do it because God has been putting, I mean, just this whole thing. I know that you're going to do what he's asked you to do. You're here today because God's reminding you that, hey, I've got a purpose in you, and he said, go and find out. So they came back and reported, we have only they don't say that word, but they've got to be thinking. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Verse 39. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down. Do you notice that Jesus is not surprised and he's not really concerned? It didn't really matter. He just said, bring me something. I don't care what, you could bring me half of a fish. Do you think that Jesus's miracle would have been inhibited if they brought him less than these loaves and fish? Doesn't matter what you bring him. Doesn't matter how small mustard seed faith it is. Doesn't matter how tiny it is. Just give me something. Give me something of you to work with. Because if you give me just a little piece of you, I mean, you ever see um, these uh, flash floods and how the stream, the water, and as soon as that water can find one entrance, you ever seen the results? of what water can do. God, you know, it's funny, not to get too esoteric, but the Bible um, looks at this parallel between the Spirit of God and water. And you give him an entrance, he doesn't need much. You give him a tiny little, there's a spot to get into you, and you better just watch out because it's gonna be a flood. He just needs just a little tiny thing. He says, sit down and on the green grass in verse 40, and they sat down in groups of 50 and 100, and he goes and he blesses it. He breaks the bread. He gives it. In verse 42, <clears throat> my voice is going, so it's about time to get done. And they all ate as much. Look what it says. They all ate as much as they wanted. Verse 44. I'm sorry. Let's not skip the best part. As much as they wanted, I'm trying to speed, but I can't miss this. Verse 43, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Wow. You're telling me, Jesus, that if I give you my tiny bit, in fact, it's not even mine. I borrowed these loaves and fish from that little boy over there. But you're telling me if I just give you a tiny little bit, that not only can you do something incredible through me, verse 44, a total of 5,000 men and families were fed, but there's enough left over for, there was 12 baskets left over. 
All that God needs is a little bit. I don't know why God designed the system the way he did, but God, it's not often that he just, he doesn't do, oh, I gotta be careful. He doesn't do a lot with nothing. He can, he's God. But his way, his Bible, he always uses people. He just chooses to use, it's just the way he does it. Could God just do it without us? I think so, because he's God. But it's just the way he does it. But unless you give him something, unless you say yes to him, you're still that person out in the world doing your own thing, right? So the same thing happens when you give him your life, that the call and the things that he's trying to get out of you, it's the same thing that he won't bother you until you give him. It's always about what you give him. He doesn't require much. Remember, it's just a mustard seed. You don't need much, but you give me your little and I will make it much. I mean, not just much. I'll make it huge. It's just not going to be, they'll never say, look what so-and-so did. They're never going to say, look what Adam did, because that kid was annoying. <laughs> I remember him when he was a young kid running around and being crazy. It wasn't him. At the end of my life, I don't want people to say, look what he did. I want them to say, there's no way Adam did that. There's no way that that was him, because he just didn't, he just, that, you know, to be honest, it just wasn't him. It just wasn't in him. But it was in me, in the DNA in me, in Christ in me. Just wasn't the Adam in me. That man's dead. But then this is interesting. For sake of time, I'll just move. We find this next occurrence, and we only find this in Mark. But, you know, there's another story, another fish story. They come into Mark chapter 8, and it says in verse 1 that another crowd had gathered. Now, at that point, you'd think that the disciples had got this figured out. Wow. Jesus, man, he can do some pretty cool stuff. And there's nothing that limits him. But we find that it says, they say that Jesus feels compassion again in verse 2. And then, <clears throat> and then in verse 3, it says, if I send them home hungry, they'll faint along the way. So Jesus is saying, you know, to his disciples, verse 4, his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? We're all a lot like the rest of us. I mean, has God done amazing miracles in your life, everyone in here? But don't we all say the same thing every time we come up against another obstacle? Every time the Lord's pushing us to believe him more or to do something more, we all say the same thing. How? It's funny. We can't really be that mad at them because we're just like them. But anyway, God does the same thing in verse 8. They ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. Same miracle, too. And there were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Now, this is something very interesting. In verse 10, Jesus gets in a boat, and he goes to the region of Dalmanutha, and then he has an occurrence there, So he and he leaves there. Now, verse 13 we had the 5,000, we had the 4,000, and now he's back in a boat. They're going back somewhere else. And it says in verse 13, he got back into the boat and left them. And he crossed to the other side of the lake, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. Now at this point, if you're the disciple, you're like, well, who cares? God's got this. But we don't find that response. Jesus in verse 15, it says, as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out. 
He said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Well, what was the Pharisee? They didn't believe in God. I mean, that's basically it. They had no, they just didn't believe Jesus. They were the ones that were, were planning and plotting to kill him out of envy and jealousy that he's just some guy. When really it was very clear that he was Jesus, the Messiah. So the yeast was unbelief. So he's telling them, beware of unbelief. And he said, verse 16, at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. <laughs> Come on, guys. Imagine Jesus proving and showing himself. We just need to trust him because he knows how to feed us if he did something through us here and he did something through us there. God can feed us. Because remember, we need to go back. It's not you anyway. Was it you who fed the 5,000? No. Was it you who fed the 4,000? No. Did you use me in, in the, as a conduit for that? Yes. But that's basically it. I'm like the farmer that planted something and just went to sleep. I mean, I'm handing out bread and fish, but I'm not making it multiply. You are. So at this point, Jesus says to them, verse 18, well, actually, verse 17, he says, don't you know or understand yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000, right, you picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. The 4,000, you picked up seven baskets of leftovers. And they said, and verse 21, don't you understand yet? That's what Jesus is telling us today. Don't you understand yet, TJ? That it's not you anyway. I told him, I said, I wish I could preach first and then him sing his new song. Wasn't that amazing, guys? TJ stepping out and doing that. Because <clears throat> it's not you anyway. It's just stepping up there and opening your mouth and God is bringing the ability he put in you out of you. And when you hold it, we are... As I was saying these last couple of weeks, you are doing it against the nature of the DNA he designed you to be. It's holding back something that you were never made to hold back. You were made to sing. You were made to play that guitar. You were made to do what God has called you to do. And you just need to give him a tiny bit. Who's willing today to give God just a tiny bit more? Because we see his challenge continues. It doesn't end because you're going to come to a point where you trusted him in this, you trusted him in that, and then all of a sudden you're in a boat, you don't have anything to eat. What are we going to do? We're all just like the rest of us. But what, you know, God, how, where, how are you going to do this? And you have to remember that, you know what? It's not me. I'm what you provided here. You provided there. You're going to do it. I'm just going to believe you and trust you. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you that you are here today. Your presence is here today. Lord, you came and you met with us, Lord, and we're so incredibly thankful for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to believe you. 
Help us, Lord, to trust you and help us, Lord, to get out of us what you put in us. We're just going to give you the little bit we have today. And it might be a little bit different than the little bit we did yesterday, but it's just all we've got today, Lord. This is all I have. But when I give it to you, Lord, I thank you that you're going to take it and do something way bigger and grander and more beautiful than I could do in myself. Thank you, Lord. And you get the glory and I get to be a part of it. And that's for each of us. Just that's a prayer between you and the Lord today, that you get to be a part of what he's doing by being willing and saying yes. In Jesus' name, amen.